1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. Mike Pingleton here, and I am your host for these proceedings. And this is episode 35. For those of you keeping track at home, it's good to talk with you all again. And I hope you all remain safe and healthy as we move into spring or fall, depending on where you live. As I mentioned earlier, I'm back to recording in my second floor office. And recently I made some sound dampening panels to turn my desk into this little recording cave. Uh, I got these 12 by 12 foam panels off Amazon that have eight triangular ridges running across them, and, and they have a, a peel-and-stick backing. So uh, I cut some foam core poster board to make some walls, and then I stuck these foam panels to them. Uh, each one is, you know, 90 degrees, turned 90 degrees from the next. And I got to say, it's an incredible difference that they make in terms of sound. And I feel like I've got a real recording studio now. And when I'm not recording, I just pull the panels out from my desk, and I stick them in the closet, so... Uh, I should post a picture sometime. Now, new Patreon people. William Bone, thank you so much for your generous support. It does take a group effort to support any entertainment channel, and I appreciate that folks get that. And And thanks, William, for the nice note and for pointing out the, the lack, or uh, the appalling lack, I should say, of sea turtles on this program. I agree with you. That's an injustice that needs addressing Because I'm a huge fan of sea turtles as well. And ever since I saw Finding Nemo, or maybe a little before that. but uh, And I've also done some snorkeling with green sea turtles uh, off the coast of the Yucatan Peninsula. So I'm in. And uh, so I've actually been working on correcting that uh, uh, for some time now. So stay tuned, folks. And I normally say this as part of my spiel at the end of the show. But I, I do enjoy hearing from folks who listen to the show. And you can drop me an email to... So pingle at gmail.com, and it can be feedback, or you can send in suggestions for the show, or even constructive criticism that is carefully crafted to avoid bruising my tender ego. So let's get to this week's guest, Jason Jones from Colima, Mexico. Now it's hard to find anyone out there in the Herp community who hasn't heard of HerpMX, and indeed this group has a tremendous following on social media, and for good reason. And if you go to the project's website, which is simply herpmx.org, you can dive deep into herp adventure and species quests and herpetology and scientific knowledge and uh, herp conservation in Mexico. And if I sound like a fanboy, that's because I am one. Uh, I love backstory, I love the deep details behind amphibians and reptiles. And Jason Jones and the rest of the HerpMX crew do a great job of providing depth and detail. And of course, it helps that I love Mexico, and 2021 will be my 10th straight year of visiting that wonderful country, and that is both brag and fact. So I will have links in the show notes for HerpMX, so if you haven't already done so, do yourself a favor and check it out. Jason Jones is one of the founders of HerpMX, and it was a privilege and a pleasure to talk with him. We had a great chat about the project and about Herping in Mexico so let's get to it. All right, welcome to the show, Jason. Hey,
0: Mike, glad to be here.
1: I'm I'm so glad to have you on the show. A lot of people were saying, "Whoa, you need to get that Herp MX guy and, and talk to him and and get Jason on the show." So here you are, and uh, I really appreciate you you doing so.
0: I hope it's not a disappointment. So. <laughs>
1: well let's let's get st- we have a lot a lot to cover and uh I, I first of all I'm just in awe of what herpmx you and the, and the whole gang of people have been able to accomplish so, so I feel like I have a ton of stuff to cover here uh, but why don't you give us a little background uh about yourself and where where you come from where you live that kind of stuff just basic stuff if you will
0: yeah so i I was born in uh in Los Angeles and grew up in the San Diego area herping there. Um, and then uh, after college, I moved down to Mexico. So it's like 2004. Uh, I've been living down here in Colima, Mexico ever since. That's uh, halfway down on the West Coast, uh, kind of right where Mexico takes a sharp turn to the east. I'm right on that elbow, right on the corner there.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Very good. And uh, you managed to pick up a family along the way? and
0: I did, yeah. <laughs> I got. To, I was married down here in, in, uh, in Colima. I've uh, got to uh, Two kids now, uh, Jimena, who's four, about to be five, and uh, Emilio,
1: who's one and a half. Wow, awesome! Well, congratulations on that. That's that's awesome. There's so much to go over, but uh, for the folks out there who are not familiar with Herp MX, I'm I'm going to read a little what I call them. I guess it's a mission statement that comes on, I think off your website, and it uh, it, it goes like this, folks. We are an independent research group dedicated to the study and conservation of Mexico's herpetofauna with an emphasis on at-risk species. And I I think that's a nice little encapsulation of what HerpMX does, and we'll sort of unpack that as we go along. But uh, how did this come to be? How did this get started? You started hanging out with some other Mexican herpers and maybe some other uh, expat herpers and come up with a plan? How did that work?
0: Yeah, exactly. So uh, when I came down in 2004, it was actually I kind of invited myself uh, on a trip with my buddy, Chris Grunewald, um, who's another herper from the San Diego area. Uh, so we moved down here together in 2004 um, and we met up with um, a young guy down here who he had he had run into the year prior um, named Jacobo uh, Reyes Velasco. So Jacobo lives in Colima, uh, you know, grew up here. Um, and kind of, that was a kind of our crew to start out with. It was, you know, Jacobo, Chris, and I kind of running around, uh, basically running around the West Coast of Mexico. And then we just started uh, slowly but surely adding people. So we added uh, you know Chris Rodriguez from from Los Angeles. Um, you know, I think now we've got uh, I think there's 14 of us in total kind of sprinkled across Mexico and the Southwest U.S. Uh, I mean, I, can, I can list off the roster if you want. <laughs> no I,
1: I actually would like that. Let's let's get some credit where credit is due. Tell me.
0: Okay. Yeah, I thought you might ask. I, I went ahead and listed everyone out on a piece of paper here. So I've got. Okay. I didn't want to forget anyone. So I've got Jacobo Reyes Velasco. He's in he's in Kalima, uh but he's actually about to leave Colima. He's headed to to a lab in Germany. Um, we got Chris Greenwald, oh, wow. who is originally from uh, Germany as well, surprisingly, but grew up in Southern California, and he lives in Jalisco now. Iván Almada Carrillo, also in Jalisco. Uh, Jorge Alamillo in Zacatecas. Javier Ortiz in the Yucatan. Jeffrey Williams, mm-hmm. who's from Arizona but lives in Baja California. We've got Hector Franz in Baja California Sur. I think you've met Hector.
1: Yeah, um, I did meet Hector last year.
0: Yeah, he's a great guy. Um, he is. we got Chris, Chris Rodriguez, who I mentioned, from California. Brandon LaForest in Arizona. Ricardo mm-hmm. Ramirez-Chaparro in Chihuahua. Carlos Montaño in Colima, Kim Flores in Jalisco, Jesus Loc Baragán in Nayarit, and then uh, well, myself so, in Colima. So that's 14 of us.
1: Wow. Yeah, it's a crew. Now well, that, that's an all-star crew right there.
0: The strength of numbers. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and there's so much to do. There's so much to cover. So you you need a big team, right?
0: Yeah. We, we, we focused on trying to get some good coverage. We're still working on uh, somewhere in the southeast. So we got some holes still, some gaps.
1: So the concept here is is not just it's moved beyond just knocking around finding cool herbs. You've moved into another area. You're you're in deep, right? I mean you're in a, a place where now you guys are thinking every day about what do we what do we need to do about a certain area? What do we need to find? What's the possibilities? What about this thing that hasn't been seen for 50 years? So, so you've kind of moved into another area. Is that safe to say?
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, I think when we started out, I mean, kind of how most people approach Mexico, right? Kind of the, the herb tourist mentality of, I'm going to go and, and, you know, see this picture, or see this species at this, you know, known location. Um, and, and from there, we've kind of just, uh, it's kind of evolved into, well, you know, maybe they live on that mountain. Has anyone been to that mountain? You know, if, if they're on this uh-huh. mountain and there's connectivity to that one, are they, are they also over there? And, and it's kind of just turned into this, uh, you know, wild goose chase. So.
1: Gotcha. Uh, when you first started, how many guys were, or how many people were with, were in the, the core team? Was it just a couple of guys hanging around or?
0: Yeah. It was, uh, our core team was pretty small. It, it, you could probably say it was, um, uh, it's still down to just Chris um, uh, and then Chris Rodriguez and
1: myself. The three of so. you,
0: three, four okay. of us, yeah.
1: Okay, and so as you have built this thing, you've added more professionals, more seasoned people, field season people who know what uh, what to look for and what to do. Yeah. Well, uh, I think um, I can't imagine. There's there's everybody doesn't understand what Herp MX is. Uh, you have like thirty thousand followers on Facebook. Uh, so yeah, I think you're, you're pretty much embedded in what, what I would call the herpetological community. It's hard. It might be hard for me to find people who really haven't heard of you and what you're doing down there. But I think first, of, all, I don't know where to start. This is, there's just so much, like I said, but I think what, what catches my most and, and it's the sexy thing that everybody immediately latch on latches onto, I think, and that is discovering new species. Uh, here in North America, that's that's getting pretty hard to do. You know, every once in a while we 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 split, you know, we split a frog into two new species, or, or we find a crazy salamander in a in a river somewhere that somebody's overlooked. But uh, so we don't have the same level of opportunity that you might in a place like Mexico.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, there are dozens and dozens of undescribed species uh, in Mexico and, and beyond there's undiscovered species. So not just splitting known groups up and, and giving them new names. There's, there are truly undiscovered species all over the place. And it's just, it's just a testament to how poorly studied a lot of these regions are. And it, and it's, you know, there's a lot of areas that are, that are, have some pretty good coverage. Um, you know, Sonora has been covered pretty well. Most of Baja has been covered pretty well, but, um, you know, parts of, parts of Oaxaca haven't really seen anyone in 60 years, you know, Parts of uh, Michoacan, some of the southern states ha- haven't seen people in a very long time, or haven't been really well sampled. And and beyond that, it's not it's not just about um, that they haven't been visited. It's about being visited by by people that have the base knowledge to know what they're looking at and what they're looking for. Yeah. And I think that's you know that's I think that's where we might have a, a slight advantage. I think uh, in working in Mexico, we've been obsessed with the country and in the, and the bioge- biogeography for so long that we've we've got kind of this foundational knowledge that can put us in a mindset where we're on a trip where hey we you know we think that there should be a species in this group doing this sort of thing in this area let's make sure we check underneath bark on you know these types of trees let's make sure we're you know, we're checking vermiliads in this area at this elevation. Let's, you know, let's make sure we're mm-hmm. thoroughly surveying, you know, the, the rock slides in this type of area. And, and just with, 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 uh, you know, kind of experience from other species that we've you know, encountered or, you know, uh, related species, maybe in other areas. So uh, I guess to, to your, to your point, there's a lot of new species. Um, I, I think, I think biologists find and observe undescribed species probably every day in Mexico, um, somewhere, yeah. but, Recognizing it, I think, is the is the tricky part.
1: I see. Can you tell us what the what was the first new species that Herp MX helped to find? I mean, I know you guys don't do all the the species descriptions, but you you are responsible for for helping to track these things down. And yeah, yeah. Down. So I
0: think the very first one was probably in 2000, and I want to say four or five. Um, we were actually in a mountain range that's local to me, it's called the Sierra Manatlan. And we were looking for what's now uh, Campbell's Campbell's dusky rattlesnake. I guess would be a good common name for it, Crotalus campbelli. And mm-hmm. uh, in the process, um, Chris Grunwald flipped a. It's, it's this. If you can picture it, it's it's a. The site is this grassy meadow with uh, kind of karstic, like gray outcrops, kind of just dotting everything. It's really jagged and sharp. Uh, and Chris, was looking for rattlesnakes, flipped a, a cap rock and found a kind of a, a tiny, we call them peeps, but they're just, uh, they're tiny, uh, uh tiny sorophis, I guess, if you're into some uh-huh. genre. Um, and that ended up being a, an undescribed species. Uh, it's actually named after Chris. It's sorophis, or I guess, Eleutherdactylist Grunwaldi. Nice. Uh, nice. It was probably the first one we found. I think it was, I don't know if it was the first one we described, but it was definitely the first one we found.
1: So, so Chris, uh, finds it and then looks at it and goes, Huh? Uh, is this this, or is this something else? Is that kind of how it went?
0: So he's Chris is is obsessed with uh, with these peeps, with uh, these little tiny chirping <laughs> frogs, chirping, whistling, peeping frogs. Um, so he he already had a, a fairly good understanding of the of the species that were in the area, and this one is this one was kind of a no brainer um, because it was it's like two to three times the size of of the other species. It's oh. uh, it's got crazy patterns, so it, it was it was pretty obviously distinct. But it, it did take us a while to actually uh, to describe it, but eventually got there. So.
1: so, what was it like when when that happened? And you got you know, it, it the paper hits, and it's like this thing is official. How, did, how does that how does that make you all feel? Like, whoa, let's let's go do this again. Is is there is it pretty exciting? Or? It
0: is, man. I mean, it's addictive too. So I I think I mean we're. We're not really into into the life listing thing. Like, I, I don't have a life list. I couldn't tell you how many species I've seen or anything like <laughs> that. But this is, I, I really enjoy, you know, the, the new species uh, discoveries. I think those, okay. those are fun.
1: Very good. Uh, I do all the life lifting for you anyway. So, okay, uh, good, good. I do I do plenty for both of us. <laughs> <laughs> I think I saw. Yeah. I think
0: you hit like eleven hundred or twelve hundred or something on your list, right?
1: Yeah, I, I hit eleven hundred last week. A week before. That's
0: that's a lot of animals. Get
1: down here. We'll get to the 12s. Oh, uh, I'm telling you, Uh, I have many. I have many from Mexico. Oh my gosh, so many cool things I've seen. So obviously, the the really sexy stuff are the rattlesnakes. Although to me, the frogs are just as cool, and the turtles are just as cool. But the rattlesnakes are the other other thing that people pay a lot of attention to, especially in Mexico, because we're we're still trying to figure out. Where the ur er rattlesnake, where the the proto rattler came from, you know, and how do these, uh, how do all these Mexican forms relate to that? So it's it's very interesting. And uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? About
0: the origin of rattlesnakes, or
1: no, just uh, some of the the species that you found. You've been involved with some new species being discovered and described, and I think I think most of those are what they call the long-tailed rattlesnakes.
0: Yeah. So so we did. Um... So we focused for a while on, on trying to find all the long-tailed rattlesnakes. Uh, it's one of those one of those groups that um, uh, it was hard to find. I mean, they're were, they, were, they were considered very rare for the longest time. In fact, I think uh, Cordylus uh, steinbergi, which is the Sinaloan long-tailed rattlesnake, it you know, was known from like twelve specimens for seventy years or something like that. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, there, there aren't very many of them. And then Cortalis Lanamine, which is the Monatlong long-tailed rattlesnake, that thing was lost for. To, what was 40 uh, forty forty something years, um, and we were lucky to rediscover those?
1: Uh, wasn't there an issue with the habitat description for that species that there was. people looking in the wrong places?
0: Yeah, so uh, so Joel Lanham was down here in or down in close to here uh, in the neighboring state of Jalisco, uh, collecting lizards, I believe, for BYU. I think he was collecting for Tanner, and he was driving a road that runs from the, the town of Outlan, uh, which is kind of in southwestern Jalisco, if you will, towards the coast. And so somewhere uh, on that highway, he found a, uh, found a smashed rattlesnake, uh, a DOR. Throwback to your uh, jargon episode, DOR. Um, <laughs> and uh, he immediately knew it was something, something different. Uh, he ran it back up to the border. I think he stopped at the uh, University of Arizona and showed it to some herpetologists there. He actually passed it to, to Clobber at one point, so Clobber had it in his possession for for a, a few days. And actually, yeah, he wrote about it in his journal. It was, it's pretty interesting to. Uh, wow. call it a strange, strange, queer beast. I think he said, or queer beast. Something. <laughs> like, which I think is a, probably not probably an accurate descriptor. Um, and then from there it went to to, uh, to BYU where it was described. Um, and after that, that was that was the only specimen known for uh, until two thousand eight. Um, yeah, you know, so you had you had Campbell down here looking in the in the 80s, um, 70s and 80s. Or, uh, people were looking for that thing for a while, and yeah, like you mentioned, the, the published locality. Uh, I mean, now that we know what we know, uh, we suspect that the the type locality listed in the description is probably has Lanham Eye at it. It probably does have snakes, maybe just not in a very high density. But an interview with uh, with Lanham. Uh, this is, close, I guess, before we published the rediscovery. Uh, he led on that uh, he may have seen that snake at a, at a different site called Wildcat Canyon. And so when you're in that area, if you ask people, there's nothing called Wildcat Canyon, but there is there's like something like uh, I think it's Arroyo del Tigre, you know, Tiger Canyon or something like that. So
1: uh-huh.
0: that that does happen to be you know the right habitat. So maybe people were just looking a couple kilometers off. So.
1: I see. And uh, so, no, a number of spaces of Lanamai have been found.
0: Number of specimens, yeah. I mean, I think to date, I mean, ones that I'm aware of, uh, it's, it's over 100. Um, there's a lot. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. There, there's a lot that are being, um, that are turning up in, in mining impact studies. So, when there's a lot of mines in the area, and so these mining operations have to have teams of biologists kind of running around their premises or in the areas where they're thinking about. Uh, doing some digging and and these guys will clear clear an area and they'll they'll relocate the snakes and a few of the operations have turned up just you know huge numbers of these things over the years
1: wow okay so they're not they're they're not necessarily in onesies and twosies
0: well they're they're just they're really localized you know they're uh, Uh they're in these these kind of really narrow belts of habitat i mean they they seem to have kind of a a preference for these really narrow strips of habitat They, they they filter out into adjacent areas but they're pretty restricted to, to certain. Um, I guess the term I've, I've heard used for it is, is a gossin, which is a, like a it's an area with hydrothermically modified soils. I guess that bring pine and oak forests down to lower elevations. They seem to be all the locations okay. seem to be centered around something like that.
1: Interesting. Uh, that's that's kind of interesting. I don't have to go look up that that word and uh, find out more about it. <laughs> not a word I'm familiar with. So, excellent. <laughs> And, and I'm going to stop here for a second because you've given us a little story on Lanamai, but you also gave us this great backstory, and and that's if anybody that follows HerpMX on Facebook, when you guys, I, know, I assume it's you that's making these posts. When you make these posts about various critters, whether it's an alligator lizard or or long-tailed rattlesnake, the post always has this backstory that probably includes you know one of the earlier workers that maybe first stumbled across the animal or, or, or something. And uh, I always appreciate that because I, I love the backstory. It's not just, Hey, here's this, here's the sexy snake. Yeah, yeah. Here you go. See you tomorrow. It's, it's much more, you have give a much more detailed uh, story to go with the animal. I just want to say that I really appreciate that and that uh, I'm sure many other people appreciate that as well.
0: So. I'm glad you like it. Yeah. I, I love, I uh, love that part too. I love that aspect of it, right? Like knowing, you know, the, uh, all the the series of events that led up to, you know, a species being described or discovered or whatever. I think those are those are stories yeah. worth telling. So.
1: Yeah, and remembering. And I'm sure so many people don't have never heard them or have read them, so that's it's very very cool. So we've got some long-tailed rattlesnakes that have popped up, but I also noticed uh, things like mud turtles. Yeah. Uh yeah, kind kind of stirred in mud turtles, kind of stirred in cora and kind of stirred in uh, Vody, uh, yeah. which I think are, are interesting. And I, I think Voti is the, um, uh, the turtle that's only been found from, uh, within urban areas, right? It's just totally degraded habitat.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's, it's probably one of the more threatened turtles, um, in North America, if not the planet. It's, it's a very, uh-huh. very small area. We, we actually didn't describe that species. That one, that, that also has a pretty interesting story. Um, so that that species was discovered because of animal traffickers uh, who had collected the the species in, or collected basically a strange looking little mud turtle with a giant bright patch on its uh, uh, on its head. And these things started turning up in in the hands of wildlife traffickers in Mexico City, and they caught the attention of some researchers who then kind of followed the the trail to uh, to Puerto Vallarta in Jalisco, um, which is you know kind of a Booming tourist town, uh, I guess city uh, on the Jalisco coast. And they're, they're right smack dab in the middle of the city. They're in, in the canals that run through, uh, run through basically the metropolitan area, if you will. It's, it's, it's crazy. They show up on, on the highways DOR. They show up on the university campus. They're, they're basically just crawling out of these, these little canals in town.
1: Interesting. Yeah, and they don't live around the area. That's just basically in towns. The only place they've been found, or they've been, they been
0: they haven't been found outside of Puerto Vallarta. Uh, we've tried to trap for them. Uh, we have some ideas where where they might show up, um, but to date, they haven't been found outside. There's a closely related species just north of there, and a closely related species uh, a bit to the south.
1: Okay, is one of those uh, kind of Stern and Cora?
0: Yeah, yeah, that that's one of them. Okay. Uh, that one's just a bit to the north. Uh, it's, it's probably the, like a sister species, if you will. That one was discovered. Uh, I think we just, we actually just did a post on this one on the, on the website. Um, that was yeah. found by, by Webb and a team of researchers. Um, I think again in the sixties, like getting this wrong, 50s, 60s, somewhere around there. Um, they were, they had come down as part of a project looking for box turtles, uh, in the Sierra Madre Occidental. There's a, there's a, I think you've probably seen these up in Sonora, the, um, the Terrapani, uh nelsoni. Yeah, so
1: there's one, an, of, one of the highlights for me. Yeah, yeah.
0: they're beautiful turtles. Uh, there's a, I think the type locality is is over in in Nayarit. and so they had come looking for, uh, looking to get some specimens or some samples from those. Um, didn't have any luck with the box turtles, but found a uh, found a mud turtle on the highway, and that was kind of the the end of it. Just uh, kind of sat in a collection until. A related species, Kinosteron chimalwaka, was described. Um, at that point, Webb was like, "Hey, I found something similar to that," <laughs> you know, several decades ago. So he he wrote a note. Uh, he published it as a range extension for for that species, and then it kind of just sat uh, sat there. No one really paid much attention to it until um, a buddy of ours, uh, Jesus Lock Baragan, was driving a road and found a DOR of a strange turtle that no one really could identify. Um, huh. And it turns out, kind of following. You know, looking looking the literature a bit, it it was another one of these things. So, Akobo and uh, and Chris and uh, another researcher, or I guess a few researchers from from the east, described that one. Just uh, I think it was last November.
1: Nice, very very cool. I I think it's a testament to your group because you're not just going after the sexy animals. It's you know whatever whatever herps or whatever opportunity affords itself, you're you're interested in it, right? I mean, a lot of people, perhaps these these mud turtles go. Unnoticed for so long because people go, nah, it's just another mud turtle."
0: Yeah, that's that's the case with a lot of these things. Uh, I think people, you know, they're maybe not so much with the turtles. I think turtles have a, a large fan club, so there is a lot of people that are paying close attention to them and can uh, maybe not your average herper is looking. You know, they're not looking at keenest Sterlon on too closely, but uh, I think turtle people are. Um, but you know, some of these other species, like Phyllodactylus, you know, the little tiny leaf toad geckos, and uh, you know, these peeping frogs, the leathardactyls, those things are. You know, there's lots of new species that just go unnoticed because people don't want to don't don't care to pay close attention to them.
1: Yeah, well, we should also add salamanders to that list too. You have some interesting salamander species that recently been described in Mexico, and I uh, I think the uh, genus is I'm going to get this right, uh, triton Yeah, yeah. triton which I guess Coraptoro reta- pertains to bats, perhaps. And Triton is obviously a salamander suffix, so we're we talking about bat salamanders here. What are we talking about? I, I have I, I'm not, <laughs> I'm the wrong
0: guy, man. The uh, I mean, there are small salamanders that live on mountaintops in the north, and, and you know, down down south, uh-huh. they're a bit more widely distributed. It, you know, that combined with the Thorius, Thorius, uh, which is another genus of, of tiny, <laughs> tiny nondescript salamanders. You know, the, right. those things are. There's a lot of diversity there that just hasn't been um, hasn't been described.
1: Yeah, and uh, like you say, they're on mountaintops and places that people don't normally get to, and uh, one pretty much looks like the next, perhaps. So
0: yeah, yeah, that's a big factor in, in why they <laughs> why they're going undescribed. So.
1: <laughs> and you also have some uh, other pit vipers, non rattlesnake pit vipers. I I suppose that are uh, also new. The uh, another genus I'm not familiar with, o- Ophriacus. Is that how you say Ophryacus, it? Ophriacus. Yeah. Ophriacus.
0: Yeah. Those are the, the Mexican horned vipers. Yeah. We, we, we actually, we described new species from that group. Um, meridinus, which is the emerald horned pit viper. Uh, and that, I mean, that's another one of those, you know, cool. I, I think they're cool. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm in a minority here, but I think it's interesting, you know, a bit of history for those things. Um, yeah, yeah. So the, the Mexican horned vipers, Ophiracus, so there's, that's another, uh, interesting kind of backstory or at least i think it's interesting so it starts in in the uh, in the 1950s you had a, a swiss uh, naturalist and collector um, francois Sumacrast, working in the eastern mexico he was picking up pretty much everything you could find and shipping it off to europe uh, among what he shipped to europe were two uh, horned vipers that made it into the the hands of uh, georg Jan at the uh, milan natural history museum and so mm-hmm. Jorg ended up describing those as, uh, I think initially he described them as atrops or atrops uh, undulatus um, in the late nineteen fifties, and and from there we really don't have much happening with the horned vipers in Mexico until uh, until maybe the mid nineteen fifties, and you had specimens that turned up in Oaxaca, you had some that turned up in Veracruz. Um, and then at one point in the 1970s, you had two brothers down there collecting in in what's I guess it's cloud forest. It's, um, it's low elevation cloud forest. Today in that area, there's a lot of uh, coffee grown. Uh, it's it's, mm-hmm. it's pretty densely vegetated. And you had two brothers there, you, they're, uh, William Berger and Jack Berger, um, and they were they were collecting pit vipers, and they picked up uh, two more, uh, actually one more uh, horned viper. And they didn't think much of it, but uh, a, few la- a few years later, uh, you had Hobart Smith describing it as a new species. Uh, I think at the time it was uh, Bothrops, you know, they, the species. Oh, in my. those days, they kind of played uh, taxonomic pinball. Yeah. So, so you had uh, you had Hobart Smith describing it as, as Bothrops spinolfris, and then a few years later, William Berger uh, sunk it. Uh, he decided he didn't, uh, didn't want that snake he collected, uh, described as a new species, and didn't really give much of an explanation, but uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he basically synonymized it with uh, Ophyrgus angulatus, and that's kind of how it stayed. And then, if you uh, fast forward to uh, about 10 years ago, 11 years ago, uh, Chris and I are looking for, I guess, Kretorin dusky rattlesnakes, Corlys aquilus.
1: Okay. It's one of yeah.
0: the kind of a small-bodied lepidus-like uh, little rattlesnake. So we were looking for, trying to find the, the, the kind of eastern range extension for these things in the state of Veracruz. And we were hunting around in the high elevation, you know, flipping rocks and whatnot. We, we got lucky and actually got a got a state record uh, curlosa achilles, up there. And then uh, we spent the next few days um, at a little bit lower elevation looking for um, Atropi- atropoides, or jumping pipers. Didn't have any luck. Uh, we, there was a Independence Day celebration. This is in September. So we went to that. And then uh, the next day, we, we were scheduled to go home. And on the way out, we, we road cruised a, another Horned Viper. Uh, just a, a bright green, beautiful, I this, like two foot long uh, Horned Viper. And so I, I guess what, what was unique, or I guess what was lucky um, in this case is we... Had already seen specimens from a few other areas at this point, so we had we were familiar with horn vipers from other parts of Veracruz. We were familiar with them mm-hmm. from Guerrero and also from Oaxaca. So we we knew what they should look like, and and it was pretty obvious from that point that this wasn't the same thing as what we were seeing everywhere else. Ah, oh, yeah. Okay. So I mean, it's, it's I guess it's it's kind of it gets back to what I mentioned at the beginning. It's, it's like if you know, that that base knowledge to know what to look for, no, know, no. Know, uh-huh to know how to discern what might be a little bit different um, it takes a bit of time to accumulate, but uh, it's, sometimes it's worth it. So we, it was obvious that that wasn't, uh, it wasn't the same thing we were finding elsewhere in the country. You know, some scale counts, we ran some DNA, and uh, at the end of the day, that ended up being the new species uh, that's Ophiracus meridinus. But in the process, what we had, um, yeah, I guess in that, that scale counting process, what we realized was that the specimens that... Hobart Smith had picked up in oh, uh, uh, Oaxaca were actually a new species. I'm not Hobart Smith, uh, I'm sorry. William Berger had picked up in Oaxaca were actually a new species. Even though okay. uh, Campbell had synonymized them and, and poor species had been kit was actually a legitimate species as well. So we elevated that one.
1: Awesome. Yeah. And when was this? This was a while back, wasn't it? A few years ago? Uh,
0: this was, I think we described this maybe in two, 2014, I think, yeah, 2015.
1: Okay. Somewhere in there. And these horn vipers are, are living in a f- just forested habitat. You said it was cloud for not cloud forest. Did you say that? Or?
0: Yeah. So they're they're each one's a little bit different. So the the emerald horn pit vipers are in on really soggy stuff. They they like it really wet. Um, okay. And they like it a little bit higher. So they're they're kind of on the cusp of, of like pine forest, if you will, maybe just a little bit lower. Uh, okay. And you've got the the Ophrys which is the broad horn pit viper. Those ones are probably the lowest elevation of all of them, they're, they're kind of comparable to like a mid elevation, both rachis, uh, or or pit viper. Okay. They're, they're really arboreal. They, um, uh, they, they live in some pretty dense, <laughs> dense salad, if you will. Uh, uh-huh. And then the, the undulatus, undulatus which is the slender horned pit viper, they're a bit more flexible. So they're in the wet stuff, they're in the dry stuff, but they, they tend to higher elevation. So they're, I think they show up maybe around 1800 meters. I don't know what that is in American, <laughs> but it's, uh, <laughs> it's, you know, they're, they're like a, I guess comparable to like a, I guess they're a montane species, you can call them a montane species, but they're a bit more tolerant of, of drier habitats as well.
1: Okay. And do they, do the ranges of any of them overlap because they occupy different habitats?
0: So we haven't, we've we found them pretty close to each other. We've gotten, Undulatus, uh the slender horns, really close to the broad horns, uh, just downhill. I'm sorry, just uphill. Okay. Um, we've gotten, we haven't personally got, uh, collected, but the Smaragdinus get very close to the undulatus in parts of Veracruz.
1: Okay. And do you do you think there are more species of uh, Ophreiaus out there?
0: Um, I mean, there's an the opportunity to. So one of the things that we we considered doing uh, a few years ago, and we're probably Still considering, I guess. Uh, if you're familiar at all with with kind of the geography of down here, there's there's a, a mountain range that runs down the east, which is the Sierra Madre Oriental. You've got the mountain range that runs right. across the kind of the south, if you will, and that's the Sierra Madre del Sur. And there's the, those two populations of um, undulatus are probably connected loosely, I guess, across the state mm-hmm. of Oaxaca. But they're they have they're very different. If you if you compare specimens from from the
1: uh, So you have these these two groups, these two populations of angulatus. They're sort of maybe at least loosely linked.
0: Yeah, yeah. So there's and they look very different. So the the ones in the uh, uh, the ones in the Sierra del Sur have a have like a peanut shaped head. They've got kind of a like their head kind of narrows and then and then gets wider again. It's it's a bizarre shape. Um, and and the horns are really flimsy. They're like little tiny spikes that are you know they're they're much thinner uh, than the ones in the east. And so the eastern ones have sort of like a peg uh, and, and a bit more of a robust head, a wider head. Uh, so it's, hmm. it's interesting. Yeah. And, and we thought, you know, the molecular evidence isn't really there. It's, I mean, it supports maybe like subspecies level if you want. Um, you know, those aren't really in fashion right now. So maybe we'll wait until they are, but it's, it's, it's neat. Um, I mean, they're, they're definitely different. They, you know, they, they look different, but they're genetically, they're, they're pretty similar. So
1: well, I'm a life lister, so I believe in subspecies. There you go. I <laughs> get the twelve hundred <laughs> somehow, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it's interesting. You were talking about how you know the various elevations these things occupy, and, and talking about um, I forget which one uh, was that eighteen hundred meters, which is about fifty nine hundred feet. So that's okay. pretty far up there. So uh, that that's that's not a snake that has a probably a. a uh, a large window of opportunity for foraging and things like that. That's what's, what's the temperature like up there?
0: Yeah, you'd be surprised. i um, so, I mean, 1800 meters is still, is, isn't that cold down here just because of the latitude. It's, it's actually, okay. Yes. They, they move around. I mean, they're, uh, we don't really know much about their activity patterns, but do know that they are nocturnal because we do get them, you know, cruise around oh. branches. At night. Okay. Um, they, you know, they'll, they'll move across you know, the roads, uh, at certain times of year. You can get them oh. road cruising. But it's it's not too chilly at that elevation.
1: Okay. Yeah. I'm am surprised, but you know I don't. <laughs> obviously, I didn't think about that. That's you you are further on down, closer to the, uh, the equator than I am. So, or yeah. even Arizona. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, Along with these other ones, there's some. There's a couple new rattlesnake species that have been described recently, and they're, they're in what I would call the neotropical rattlesnake group. Oh, yeah. And uh, they have some, uh, the specifics, epith- epithets are uh, what I would call Aztec, from Aztec mythology, and I can't pronounce either one of them, even though one's short and one's long. Yeah. Uh, but, but I think those are very interesting. Uh, we always have these traditional... Nomenclature when 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 we describe new species and things get kind of recycled like undulatus, smergdina. smaragdina right. things like that they 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 get used and and rightly so because they're an apt description of of some base characteristic of the animal so I get that but I, I just thought it was very interesting to have these these two rattlesnakes described using these Az- Aztec terms and I think they are. They come from Aztec mythology, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, I think that's uh, that's very interesting, and I, I it's kind of refreshing to see that too.
0: Yeah, yeah. Those are those are really neat species. Um, so I think with one of your one you're referring to is uh, Crotalus mclintocki, which is the Veracruz Neotropical rattlesnake, and then there's there's one from the the isthmus, um, which is uh, Crotalus hecato. Yeah, and then that's that's not. I mean, <laughs> so. Miklanc de is a really cool species. It's, uh, I mean, that one's been known or suspected since uh, I think the 1950s. Like Clobber made comments about, um, you know, that, that population being pretty unique. And they're they're really neat snakes. That you know, they're they're very dissimilar, or they're they're, they're I'm sorry, they're similar to um, Curtulus culminatus, which is the, the northwestern Neotropical rattlesnake. But they they have their mm-hmm. you can if you threw them all in a bucket, you could pick them out. They're they're pretty. They're that obvious. But Echikato Unfortunately, uh, and and you know, it's a buddy of mine that, that described uh, described these two. So, uh, I apologize to him. But Hecato, we're pretty convinced that's not a legit species, and it's it's going oh. it's going down.
1: Okay, well that happens.
0: It happens, yeah. And, and, and you know, to his to his uh, credit, right? It was it's a it's a sampling issue. It's just it's really hard to get samples in some of these areas, and so um, uh-huh. the sampling density just wasn't there. He was missing some some stuff from the coast of Guerrero and the coast of Michoacan, which are, are not the safest areas to pick up new snakes. So it's understandable.
1: Yeah. Well, that, that leads to a little bit of a segue there. We, and I know folks are going to want to know about this, but the issue of safety does is common when people think of Mexico. And they, as a, uh, a resident of Mexico and a person who travels around quite a bit in Mexico, uh, I imagine you have places that are maybe not safe to go or Uh, maybe you think twice about going there. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that? And I, you know, I don't want to be uh, a sensationalist about this. I I just, I, you know, we get enough of that from the media, uh, you know, and, and as a person who's gone to Mexico every year since 2011, (laughs) I'm pro Mexico. I, I, I love the country. I love the people and, and I encourage people to, to go and uh, enjoy themselves. But, uh, people do have concerns and I would just kind of want your thoughts on that matter.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, we get that question a lot. Um, we're asking always about, you know, how safe it is in this area, how safe it is in that area. And, and, you know, parts of Mexico are extremely safe. You know, they're Disneyland. Safe. Yes. There's, there's no reason to be concerned. Baja is one of those examples. Everything away from the border in Baja is, is pretty darn safe. Um, I mean, I don't see any reason why it would be any more dangerous than you know, parts of Arizona. Mm-hmm. Parts of Sonora are, are very safe. Uh, most of actually, there's, there's a lot of areas in Mexico that are, that are safe, uh, and there's it's really only uh, maybe a handful of areas uh, that are a bit more complicated to travel in, uh, and these are typically areas that either have a long history of active participation in the drug trade, or there's some sort of other conflict there. So there's you know there's areas mm-hmm. in. Uh, the, gr- the drug, the drug-growing states. Um, so it's basically right. the majority of the the Sierra Madre Occidental, and then the, the parts of the Sierra Madre del Sur. Those are the kind of the, the classic areas for kind of narcotics activity, I guess. And then you have mm-hmm. um, other conflict areas along trafficking routes, uh, which is why you end up with areas like Tamaulipas. I'm sure you, maybe you've heard that name uh, mentioned with sure. with cartel violence, and you know these are not areas where they're growing a lot. They do grow, but it's it's, it's typically just because it's along a, a trafficking route. But, I you know, the areas that herpers want to go for the most part, um, you know, Alamos and Sonora, Cuatro in Coahuila, most of Baja, the Yucatan Peninsula, um, parts of Chiapas, they, they're all, they're Disneyland safe. Um, wait for this coronavirus business to subside and get on a plane and come down.
1: Yeah, I, I can't emphasize that enough. And, and I have I have been to all of those flavors of Disneyland, if you will <laughs> yeah, and had a, a great time and uh people are kind of the same everywhere. most people are just ordinary plain people, and you know they're friendly yeah. and they're happy to see you it and uh, it's no different down there so uh, I recommend it and you know for uh if you want to go to Mexico, there's places you mentioned like Baja and Yucatan are great places to start
0: yeah, this was a great great first steps. I think if you want to just kind of get your feet wet, y- Yucatan, there's a lot to see there. It's, it's the roads are really, you know, really good quality for the most part. Mm-hmm. You can move from one side to the, to the other pretty quickly um, on, on quality highways. And then the, you know, the hotels and beaches are, are you know, some of the better best in the world, really. So there's, there's a lot to do there, yeah. you know, aside, besides just herping. But yeah, like, like you mentioned, people, you know, people, people are people everywhere. And, you know, even in these, you know, I guess if you want to call them conflict Sierras, Conflict mountains or areas, you know, the people are, are are amazing. They're they're nice. You know, they they might be a little bit kind of standoffish at first, but you know, once you get to know, once you get to meet people, you know, they're they're always eager to have you into their house and prepare food for you. So, uh, I mean, I, I guess I can I can't generalize. I mean, that's, that doesn't apply everywhere, but you know, in most of these areas where we've taken the time to kind of pave some inroads um, with the, you know, the locals, it's it's been really rewarding. There's a we haven't really had any you know two bad experiences in, in, in those types of situations,
1: right? Well, you know you have to have a good attitude, right? You can't just come in there with the idea of you have these goals and to heck with everything else. You have to talk to people and get to know people a little bit, and let them get to know you a little bit, and I think that's you know really that's that's a good policy no matter where you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when we were <laughs>
0: younger and maybe more reckless, we we had this this dumb rule where we Call it kind of the 48-hour rule, where you could probably go into anywhere and get about 48 hours of of uh, herping in before someone decides to figure out who you are and the, and uh, cause a scene for you. Uh, and so you know, we operated into that for a while, and we just got lucky is what it came down to. And you know, Mexico was different. I think when we first came down here, to, you know, when you it to today, mm-hmm. but now we you know we try to be a bit more cautious. We you know we're we make sure we know what local conflicts are, are going on. We make sure. You know, when possible, we, we we've got the, the right local contacts you know, to get us in and out of areas um, that are a bit sketchier. But.
1: Okay, so uh, you heard it here, folks. It's it's uh, Mexico is a great place to go herping. Go do it. Yeah. I've been saying it for years, and I, I think I just think people should do it. Um, uh, in terms of places that you go, do you have, uh, do you have preferences for? An area? Uh, do you like the mountains, or do you like the southern portions? What's What's yeah. your favorite place? I mean, so today? so the
0: majority of I I, I really love herping the Sierra Madre Occidental. So I, I love that uh, Durango, Sinaloa, Sonora, Chihuahua. Like that's my favorite herping. But it, there's just not much to do there, um, or not much left to do in a lot of those areas. So,
2: uh-huh.
0: um, you know, our, our focus is is kind of tending to the south now. We're spending a lot of time in the mountains of Guerrero. There's a lot of just undescribed species, and in Guerrero we're working on a few right now um, from those mountains. But yeah, I think I think our like my favorite for just enjoyable touristy herping is is always going to be Durango, I think. But uh-huh. for uh, for for purposeful herping, <laughs> I guess it's uh, <laughs> I guess it's the south right now. So the Oaxaca and uh, Oaxaca and Guerrero.
1: How do you get around? What do you drive? You have, do you need a four-wheel drive vehicle, that kind of thing?
0: So it depends. Uh, it depends on the, on where we're going. So um, a lot of a lot of the areas that that you couldn't get into even with a vehicle, you know, ten years ago, now have perfectly paved roads. Uh huh. So we, you know, I, I, uh, we've got a Prius in the fleet to to jet around uh, at low cost oh. to do some some road riding. Um, but then we've got a. Bunch of Toyota trucks around too, so 4Runners and
1: uh, okay. Toyota Tacomas. Well, I have to bring this up because I have to. But uh, one of the one of the newly described species is is named after a particular <laughs> vehicle. Uh, it's a frog. And it's called Sarkahyla Toyota. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, I mean that's just a, a shout out to Toyota for making reliable vehicles that can get us into these areas and get us out so okay chris is a is a huge fan of toyota I'm, I'm a fan of toyota i think most of the guys are so that's where that came
1: from okay very good i'm poised to to purchase my first toyota sometime later this year oh yeah what are you so at? uh yeah uh, i'm looking at the rav4 hybrid
0: oh that's cool how, how have you heard any yeah. um uh, anyways, we can we can talk about this later. But <laughs> I was looking at that too. As you know, got a bit more room, yeah. Some decent ma- gas gas mileage. Yeah.
1: yeah, I'm Looking at maybe the XLE or something, but uh, gas mileage is great. And it's got it's got two great platforms, right? It's got the great electric platform from the Prius, and it's got the great Rav4 platform uh, combined. Festival so I think worlds. it might be. They
0: just need to yeah, they just need so. to set up one of those like their Hilux on a, like one of their trucks on a
1: uh, yeah, with, with a with a I hybrid agree.
0: system. that would be great.
1: It's a, It's only a matter of time, but I agree. Like, yeah. I can dream right now. So. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought that was – I had to bring it up because, uh, I, you know, I've heard people say, what the heck? And uh, But it's not unusual for people to uh, – you, you know, I, I've seen as somebody who's deep into some taxonomy, I've seen species named after people who donated a lot of money to a research foundation or you know wildlife foundation or whatever and in return you know you you give them a million bucks in a turn they name a a mosquito after you or a toad or something
0: yeah there's there's a few models like that i think uh actually there's models like that all over the place but there's a few um kind of more notable ones in in europe where they auction off species all the time
1: Uh uh-huh yeah Yeah, so toyota if you're listening um you, know, you get some free publicity here, and so you need to you know hook these uh, Herp MX guys up. With, Mike
0: you know. wants a, a Route Four hybrid Toyota. Get on it,
1: <laughs> and uh, get on that Hilux yeah. hybrid too. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's one thing to tool around the countryside and and do all this great stuff, but it's another thing to present it to the public via social media. Now, are you the spokesperson for uh, HerpMx? Do you make the posts? Do you maintain the website? Who does that work?
0: Yes, I I write most of the posts, um, but the content's generated by the full team. So the you know, all the photos and the videos that's that's a team effort. Um, obviously, the species descriptions are, are a team effort, uh, or I should say, uh-huh. uh, you know, Chris and team because Chris Chris really leads most of our species descriptions, if not all of them. Chris Grunwald. Um, okay. But yeah, I I. I I enjoy it. I mean, the 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 goal there, I think, is to really drum up interest in in herping Mexico. So, I mean, you know, people people north of the border they're better positioned than we are to to get into some of these areas. I mean, it takes me you know, 14 hours, 15 hours to hit the border, whereas you know, guys in Texas can be there in a, in a few hours. Uh, and there, you know, there's work that needs to be done there. There's new species, um, you know, that, that aren't too far from from the U.S. Mexico border undescribed species it's just we need more people yeah. down here looking for them okay uh, so yeah i mean that, that's the that's kind of the purpose of our social media platform to drum up kind of more awareness uh in these things and, and plus I, I enjoy it
1: well i i love the uh, if you go to herp folks if you go to herpmx.com if you haven't done so uh go do it and and then go read these uh, these posts it's it's a, almost a i would say a blog format uh but you talk about new species and uh, about various field trips and uh, you know this is the sort of thing i love it's a, something i've done for years and i really appreciate the, the work and effort that goes into putting those together and uh new books that cover you know some of the areas uh you have some new books coming out from time to time from researchers and you cover that kind of stuff so um i really appreciate that i i think it's it goes uh, it adds so much depth. Like I say, it's easy just to throw sexy stuff at the screen, but it's much harder to give context and background and, you know, make it, make it really come alive. Uh, and I think you guys, you and your, your fellow team makers, I think you succeeded that. Thanks, uh, yeah. and I'm,
2: that's only so.
1: <laughs> Oh, Better. I know I'm not the only one, but I, I, I just think this is, you know, top tier stuff. I'm, and uh I'm not just saying that to blow smoke up your skirt or anything. I think okay. it's really really well done so uh, and I, I encourage you to keep doing it because I, I really enjoy it and and I know there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other people who do as well uh, so in in terms of uh, the future, do you have any new goals or are you just gonna keep hitting area after area or
0: so we've got I say we, but this is really like I mentioned, Chris Grunwald's kind of pet project. He's he's done a good job covering basically west and central Mexican peeping frogs. So now uh-huh. he's uh, he's kind of venturing out beyond that towards the east and northeast. So we'll, we'll probably end up being uh, dragged along on some. Yeah, uh, he, he always throws out a carrot. It's always, we're going to go look at the rock rattlesnakes in this area when he's really just going to look for peeping frogs all night, so. <laughs> but uh, we'll probably end up doing a couple more of those trips. We've got, um, we're, we're working with, uh, we're working on a garter snake, a few garter snakes. Um,
2: Ooh. Yeah, that are, that are part of some groups that are widely distributed
0: across the country. So we've got, a, we've got some sampling work to do still. Um, we've got a, a new rattlesnake um, in the hopper uh, we're working on. I think we've got some, some snail suckers, uh, the um, 're going oh. on from down south uh, and then our we've got a, a focused field trip coming up uh, towards the start of the rainy season uh, we're gonna hopefully find some some new vipers so we've got we've got our eyes on, on some mountains we, we think it should play out well just gotta get the gotta get the team down there and and hope we get lucky
1: Very good when you go out in the field you never know what might come up so are you prepared to take? Uh, samples for you know DNA testing and things like that. Yeah, is that part a, of your kit? Yeah, exactly. We've got a, a kind of a mobile lab that goes in the back of the truck.
0: Um, it's got everything you need to you know preserve a specimen or take just a tissue
1: sample. Okay, and you know there are a number of, of Mexican herpetologists, and um, I can't think of their names off the top of my head right now because because uh, it's been a long day. I'm tired, but. Uh, so, do you have sort of like Pete, your go to guys that, that you work with? You say, hey, we think maybe there's something going on here and we're going to go check this out. Or uh, how does that work? Yeah, we do. So, we,
0: we have, I mean, so we've, we've got, um, you know, uh, Jacobo, Yvonne, you know, the, those guys are both uh, professional herpetologists. Uh, right. Professional Mexican herpetologists. Mm-hmm. But we've also, we have a lot of collaboration with a few of the universities down here. So, we work with, uh-huh. um, we got Uri Garcia in, in Mexico City. Um, we work with uh, David Lascano in Nuevo leon um, working
1: with. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 David. He's, he's I a, know of David Lascano. Yeah.
0: He's a big pit viper guy, yeah, probably the regional yeah. expert on on all the herbs in Nuevo León and that, that kind of northeastern corner. Uh, and we work with uh, some guys at the university in Durango as well. And then we have collaborators on, on that side of the border
1: as well. Okay. So there's always somebody you can reach out to.
0: Yeah, it didn't start out that uh, way. Something we, comes up. We, you know, when we first we first started looking for stuff, people were kind of suspicious of us. You know, it, two yeah. American guys, you know, coming down here, running around the country. <laughs> what are they doing? Um, but you know, over the years, we've kind of built some relationships, and you know, we've got we've got really great uh, collaborators now. So.
1: Excellent. And it's just all about building relationships. And and I, I say this all the time that the best thing that ever happened to me is is I decided I need to hang out with biologists and if, if I hang out with them and talk to them, opportunities come and I can help them sometimes and they can help me sometimes. And, and sometimes a great adventure comes out of it. Sometimes interesting data comes out of it. You know, those relationships are, you know, uh, very special to me. And, uh, uh, it takes, it takes some work to get there, but, uh,
0: no, I, I, I agree. I think that uh, you know, bridging that gap between hobby herpers and the, the herpetologists, I think, is critical. You know, um, both yeah. in Mexico and the US. And I think it's it's that gap is is closing. It's almost non-existent in a lot of areas now.
1: Yeah, I I think so. I would agree with that, and I think that's that's been great. Mm-hmm.
0: Internet helped a lot. there.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, big time, big time. And it te- kind of takes away uh, mystery about people. You can. You are who you are, and you are who you say you are. Um, it helps a lot, and people get to, to get to know you a little bit. Uh, you know, tomorrow, tomorrow, I get to hang out with uh, the uh, some of the folks at the Colorado Park Organization and the Southwest Park, which is Partnership for Amphibians and Reptiles and Conservation. And awesome! I get to hang out hang out in their online meeting, and and uh, you know, so those sort of collaborations uh, where. Anybody can come and just hang out and and mix and mingle with people that are involved with conservation and people are involved with research. That never happened to me. Yeah, 20, yeah. 30 years ago, no, it just didn't happen that way.
0: It's a kind of testament to the times. I think things are, things are changing a bit. I think you know both sides are kind of more open to. Uh, I, don't, I don't. I guess it's not appropriate to call it in sides, but both groups, I guess, are more open to yeah. kind of collaborative efforts. Um, I mean, even you know the IUCN had a workshop. Last year, you know, on amphibians and at-risk amphibians, and you know, we were invited, so we had Yvonne and, and um, you know Chris there, and these guys, maybe that don't have you know too much of a formal um, background, or I guess Chris doesn't have a formal background with you know this area of study, but you know, their their knowledge is welcome at the table. So that's
1: it's really yeah. neat. that's great. I want to tell you one of my favorite things about going to Mexico, and that's the islands. Mm which uh, are, are, I guess, harder to get to now, islands in the Gulf of of California. And I think the reason I've been to a number of them, I've seen some of the insular island endemic species, you know, so on and so forth. But I I just think it's um, interesting if you're into things like biogeography, you know, how species evolve and separate and things like that, and the idea of uh, species coming over across the ocean and yeah. establishing new colonies. I think that the islands uh, in, in Mexico are, are great little laboratories for that kind of thing. And, and uh, I, I uh, really enjoy visiting them and just sort of uh, breathing in that air and, and getting that feeling of being on a, a little speck of land with a rattlesnake and a chuckwalla yeah. <laughs> and a, a, a an a oota and probably some mammals that have all turned into their own little thing yeah, yeah. on that I island because know, they stuck there. You
0: nailed it with the word lab. I mean, that's, that's what the, lab, the perfect little laboratories.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, I have the same feeling towards, you know, some of the sky islands uh, in, in northern Mexico, right? It's a pretty similar situation. And you know, Mexico has kind of the quintessential sky islands. And so we've got mountains that tower, you know, Twenty five hundred meters above the surrounding desert, uh-huh. you know, just huge, huge differences in elevation and, and you know, flora and fauna. That's that's some of my favorite herping, just on the just on land.
1: <laughs> yeah, and further up you go, things start changing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I'm sure our my listeners are familiar with the sky islands concept, where you know things, you have know, certain habitats at certain elevations, and things change as you move up and down uh, the different elevations. So. Yeah, uh, a, a couple of years ago, I made a, a trip with some of the regular folks to uh, northern Sonora to look for one of the one of the little willard eye rattlesnakes, and uh, that was an interesting experience too. Because it, instead of going up a mountain, we went down into a canyon, <laughs> and it was sort of the same sort of thing, only only we went down instead of you know going up.
0: Right, right. Get down to that moisture.
1: Yeah, exactly, and that was uh, one of my. One of my favorite Mexican trips of all time. I really enjoyed that. And we um, did see hardly, the only people we saw were, were vaqueros.
0: Yeah. we uh, were in the Sierra San Luis, I imagine. Uh, yeah. Right on the border. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah I mean, Very interesting. I,
0: I think once you're kind of off the highways, that's a pretty safe area for the most part.
1: Yeah. So, and uh, it was pretty much off the highway, yeah. I'll have to say.
0: Very cool. what I obscure it.
1: Do you come back to the United States at all? Is there things in the United States that you're interested in seeing, or
0: um, I try not to. Other countries? I I, I I go up there maybe once every like three or four years. Uh, my family is all in San Diego, yeah. so I you know show up and visit. For the most part, I'm uh-huh. down here in Mexico much all the time.
1: Okay, and that is uh, that's where you want to be.
0: Yeah, I can't complain. I love it down here.
1: Good. I can't get over so much about the. Uh, this whole project that you put together and, and the whole package that is Herp MX. And uh, at the end of 2019, you had put together what I, what you called a, a highlight. Let's see. It, it was called the 10 year highlight. Oh yeah. <laughs> and yeah. And it was interesting. And, and the 10 year highlight basically was a short little post that said 12 new species, seven species rediscovered, uh, four species, uh, first time bred in captivity and then one new country record, which I assume is some, uh, species that's found somewhere else that is, you showed to also occur in Mexico. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. That, that, uh, country record was actually 100% Chris Greenwald's work. He, uh, he's a, like, I think every, or most herpers kind of go through this progression where they end up just being map junkies at the end of the day. Uh, so he, (laughs) he pours over, you know, Google earth and, um, We have a bunch of uh, overlays that we've we've set up to kind of help answer some questions. And um, he had a suspicion that um, right there along the Chiapas-Guatemala borders, right there in in extreme southern Mexico, um, there was a pocket that looked different from a rainfall standpoint and and consequently a habitat standpoint um, than all the surrounding areas. And he suspected that it brought that corridor, was able to bring in, I guess, what is it, the Western Hog Nose Viper, Porthidium um, you Edition, know, oh. He suspected that bring that species up in within Mexico's borders, and he did uh, did a trip down there and and proved it out. Um, finding a lot of them there, seventeen snakes, I
1: think. <laughs> so there's holy cow, yeah. And that you know, it's a species that hadn't been registered in the country,
0: um, so it was, that's fun. I mean, you know, these little uh, games that we make for ourselves, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, but it. it I love it when a plan comes together, right? But it's taking knowledge. You you know you're on target. You know you're doing something right because you've taken your knowledge, you've put it to work, and it pays off, right? Right. right. You know, it's like a physicist working out the, you know, equations that say something should happen and then having that that thing proven in the laboratory later. It's the same sort of thing, right? Yeah.
0: And I mean, those are the games I love the most, man. I mean, that's what really keeps me going um, down here testing kind of a hypothesis is you know did it did it get cold enough in the last ice age for that species to make the jump to that area you know that that sort of a game um and, yeah you know, it's, it's fun because you, sometimes you get answers sometimes you don't and um <laughs> uh, makes it challenging it keeps
1: you going it's a deep game yeah you so, but if it was easy everybody would be doing it so yeah. not a lot of players I guess. <laughs> <laughs> or or nobody would do it right. yeah good Uh so, uh, is there anything else you want to talk about we haven't discussed? Or?
0: Gosh, um, I covered the full list of people, right? I, I, I made sure my notes. Yes, you did. List all fourteen of these guys. Cause I know I'd forget somebody. So.
1: Do you expect the group to get larger? Yeah, as, we're, as time I, I want to get larger,
0: um, it's just to get coverage in areas that we don't have coverage. Uh, I mean, just to have bodies in, in parts of the country that we don't. Um, you know, you always need someone local to you know, facilitate things sometimes.
2: So uh-huh yeah we're, we're hoping to add some people from from oaxaca and chiapas I'm hoping in the
1: near future maybe someone from the northeast try to get a bit bit of a larger crew what what is the most obscure portion of the country in turn what's the most mysterious point
0: it's a it's a fun game to play so if you get on um i naturalist and you turn on observations um uh, you can kind of you can kind of feel out where these where these gaps are because there's no little red squares um, there's just a just you know, there's big holes in parts of uh, the Sierra madre del Sur there's holes in parts in, in you know with good reason there's holes in some of the drug growing um, Sierras yes and the, and then there's some truly remote areas in the north um, where just there's you know, large expanses of desert with no uh, with no real roads through them Right, but uh, I would say I would I would say the the least the, the area that's probably holding on to the most samples um, or areas are um, not samples uh, most secrets would be Guerrero and Oaxaca. So those two states, okay, um, you know they, they've they've had herpers there for over almost a century. I think they've been they've been hit pretty hard, but there's just so many areas that are kind of out of reach, or you know, there's some parts of Oaxaca that haven't been visited, you know, by herpetologists. Really, since like the like the sixties, so there's definitely okay. some secrets hanging out there.
1: Well, let me talk to you about a minute about the uh, the king that that Webb discovered. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? I think that's that's a uh, lots of folks that listen to the show. I think king snakes are pretty cool, and that's a mysterious one.
0: It is. Uh, so that, that's Webb's mountain kingsnake. snake. Uh, that one was described by. Uh, Rob Bryson and collaborators, I think in the early 2000s, I don't have the date. Um, and so the, the way that happened was you had you had Webb, who did a lot of work in the Sierra Madre Occidental, he did a lot of work uh, around the Sinaloa-Durango border. Uh, this is like a really, uh-huh. he did it at a time when it was very rugged. Um, I mean, there you, know, you had threats of bandidos that were probably at levels that we don't see today in most of Mexico. Um, you, you had... Uh, really poor road quality and he did a lot of work in that area for years um and on on one uh one pass up this road which is the the road is, is highway 40 um it's kind of an infamous road I, you may have heard people talk about it but it's it's kind of the uh it's like if you roll up all of mexico's road hazards into one one single uh highway <laughs> this is it i mean it's the, the lower elevations are, 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 fine. But as soon as you get up into, as soon as it starts to climb up in the mountains, it's really windy. Uh, and you've got rock slides, you've got, um, you know, tractor trailers trying to maneuver tight turns and they end up invading Air your lane. lane. You've got cows all over the place. You've got roads that get washed out. It's uh, thick fog everywhere. It's, it's pretty crazy. Uh, and so I don't even want to imagine what it was like when Webb was there. But, uh, the point is he was going up there one day and found a dead, uh, dead snake. Um, Picked it up, preserved it, uh, took it to Texas at some point, and, and it sat there. Um, you fast forward to to Rob. I think this is in the late 90s or early, early not. Um, Rob and a couple guys are driving up the same highway. They find a, a still writhing little kingsnake in the highway. Pick it up. It's obviously not a Greer's Mountain Kingsnake or Durango Mountain Kingsnake, which is the kind of um, the proximate species that, you know, they're, they're found maybe uh, 20 kilometers to the to the east of there um, okay. in a little bit drier habitat. It's obviously not one of those. Rob takes it back um, to Nuevo León, takes some uh, tissue samples and processes those, realizes it's a new species. At some point, um, I can't remember who tipped them off. I thought it was, uh, I don't recall. Uh, there's someone who tipped them off to that specimen from Webb, um, so they had you know two specimens now and they described it as new species I and that was it for a while. Uh, and then in it's maybe like 2005, 2006, we started, um, started looking for that species doing some trips to the same area, night driving for the most part, because there's not a whole lot of, there's not a whole lot of areas that you can access easily to flip rocks. It's, it's really, you know, I'll, I'll send you some pictures, pictures after this, um, it's really up and down, like straight up and down cliffs that you're kind of maneuvering around on, on wow. narrow ledges. So there's not, uh, you know, you can, you'll spend like two hours hiking up to one little patch that takes you 15 minutes to check. And then it's another, you know, two hours hiking to the next little patch. So it's not very oh productive. Uh, so, the, you know, the best way to get them was on the road. And we found, we ended up finding a couple of roadkill specimens in that same area. Uh, we found uh, a live one finally, I think in 2000 in wanna say six or seven. We got a we got a live adult crossing the road. Um we were thrilled you know, as a, the first adult specimen first live specimen, so it was it was awesome. Um and then we, we picked up a couple of DRs after that. And you know, after that the challenge became, you know, we really want to find these things uh you know in the field, you know, flipping rocks and we it's it's just <laughs> for starters, I mean they, they grow a lot of poppies uh, there for opium production. They grow a lot of marijuana. Um and the yeah. people are not. This is an area of the country that has a long history of uh, of involvement uh, in the narcotics trade. So they're, it, it's it's kind of deeply embedded in the in the culture, if you will. So their people are standoffish. You don't have that warm smile, you know, when you pull up to a town. People they don't. For the most part, they don't want you there. Um, so it, it adds another dimension to trying to you know maneuver around the region, trying to find an area where you can flip rocks. Um, right and then you know in the let's see maybe six or seven years ago they opened up a new highway uh, it's a autopista or a quota which is a toll road uh, so it's a it's a high quality four-laner that, that runs you know the pretty similar path to the old highway 40 but it uh, cuts through some new habitat and it cuts into areas that you really couldn't get into Um, you know, maybe 15 years ago or, or even 10 years ago. They were areas where it was, you know, a long dirt trail to get anywhere near there, and you'd most likely encounter a bunch of guys with guns. Uh, but now with, uh, with the new highway, you can get in there and, and out pretty quickly. Uh, so let's see, this is maybe three years ago. Uh, Tim Warfel was down visiting, uh, and he wanted to look for Sinaloan uh, long-tailed rattlesnakes. And so our, our our plan was to go target Sinaloan long-tailed rattlesnakes, Carlos Steinegger, right? And we didn't, uh, we we couldn't get into any of the areas that um, we wanted to sample because there was a uh, kind of an armed conflict going on. You had guys kind of shooting across oh. canyons at each other across the hills, and and one one group of guys had chased another group of guys up into the hills and they had dynamited the road in and, and basically just kind of created this massive landslide, so the road didn't exist in this in this area. So. Yeah, we, we couldn't long story short we couldn't get to go look for the we, we couldn't get to the areas we need to get to um so we ended up you know for a couple of days we kind of just spent compromising and kind of like fringe habitat that wasn't really ideal and then just decided to kind of you know throw in the towel and, and, and look for something else and so one of the the questions that we've had there for a while has been there's there's two types of rock rattlesnake in that area there's a Sinaloan banded rattlesnake or i'm not sure what the, the common name is but it's Cortus lepidus maculosis. It's a, it's like a lepidus clobberi, the, the banded rock rattlesnakes that you have in Arizona, but maybe stretched out a little bit, a few more spots, and then a slightly smaller rattle, right. so, and maybe a little bit duller in coloration there. Some of them are green, but for the most part they're they're tones of brown, um, shades of brown and gray. Uh, and so what one of the things we wanted to look at were were integration area or areas where those that species might come in contact with uh, lepidus clobberi. And so the the interesting about that that part of the Sierra Madre Occidental is that it's, it's really straight up and down when you're on the old forty. So you'll, um, you, when you're coming up the West slopes, if you can imagine coming up from like the, the beach side of things in Sinaloa, um, you, you quickly climb to like 3000 meters, which doesn't really have, um, banded rock rattlesnakes. Uh, and it's, but on, on, you know, on your way up, you see the, um, I guess before you get to the crest, if you will, you get the, the maculosis. And then on the other side, once you've gone over the crest, you get the clobre. So there's not really an opportunity huh. near the road for them to to meet each other. But with this new highway, it happened to cut through um, a barranca or an, a, a canyon that runs pretty deep east to west. And so it, our, our theory was you can – our hypothesis was you could probably sample – uh, from the West slopes all the way to the East slopes along the sides of that, uh, that Canyon and probably get something that looks intermediate between the two species or the two forms. Yeah. So we, we, Tim, you know, kind of uh, wasn't thrilled about, you know, abandoning the, the long-tailed rattlesnake search, but uh, we, we got him a Carter snake, which I think he was happy with. So that bought us some time to go look for <laughs> some, some non-targets. And uh, you know, we, we cruised in one of these canyons, uh, we cruised into the wall, uh, I guess, into this Barranca that cuts to the east. Um, found a rocky hillside. Started flipping some rocks, and we we found uh, we flipped the webeye. So it was uh, yeah, we got, yeah, it, was, it was pretty awesome. We were, we were stuck. It wasn't. It was totally unexpected. I was. I thought we would get some rattlesnakes, but it didn't work out that way. So
1: that is a very small club. Yeah, to be yeah, in, I think it is. So. <laughs> I mean, it,
0: I think it's a wow. small club of people that are actually interested, and then, and then uh, even smaller club of people that have actually come down to look for them. So.
1: Well, there are certain snakes that just—they're always going to have this cachet of mystery about them. They're going to, you know, they, they carry around this mystique. Yeah, uh, that's that's one. Uh, there, there's always going to be snakes like that, no matter where you're at in the world. But uh, that—that's a good one, and and there are people who are somewhere. Driving somewhere on a highway on their way to herping or whatever, and they're listening to this, and they're like, "Yeah, yeah." Just take a sharp
0: turn towards the border, guys. It's not that far. <laughs> uh, I
1: I want to mention to another what I consider to be a um, mythic snake, and that is the the mountain king snake that lives on a desert island. Oh, the Harari. Harari. Yeah. Which uh, I I had the privilege to see uh, but that's another snake that's it's it's mysterious it's it's one of those things like why why is this thing here how did it end up here how did it get stranded on this island you know it's just it's just got all these things all these questions about it and it's not an easy snake to, to, to go find but for me that was uh, another one of those mythic creatures yeah that you you hear about for years and you think well shoot I'll never see that. How am we're gonna see that? <laughs> yeah,
0: and there's something I mean, like backstory that you you know you read on the on the forums from you know these guys, old timers, right, talking about how they, they thought it was extinct, and then you know Paul Lynham, I think, and some other guys ended up turning up uh, a few of them over the years. I, I, I actually I, I've never been to that island. That was a trip that uh, a few of the guys did a couple years ago, and I think they found a they found a big adult. Um, but yeah, the 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 biogeography in that area and just the it's just trippy. I, it's, it weirds me out. I mean, you've got, you know, Instatina clobberi, which are, you know, generally considered to be like a montane salamander, right? It's a large, yeah. Blotched or large blotched salamander, whatever it is, Enzatina. Um And those things show up in like this little pocket on the coast there. Um, you know, and then you've got, uh, what is it? The sand snakes that make it into, you know, right in the vicinity of Ensenada. Um, so it's just, it's just a really weird.
1: Yeah. Really and you start to wonder what the climate was and when the climate was what it was to allow those things to to come south to connect south you know like an encetina i mean for for crying out loud that's uh yeah it, it's not a terrible long distance but there's a lot of bleak landscape between the nearest encetina in san diego county and, and and these little relic populations near Ensenada.
0: yeah i mean and they're in they're in uh, the tier too right they're in the uh, Sierra San Pedro Martir, so
1: oh, it's not too okay. it's
0: not too far. But I, and, you know even with those with the mountain king snakes, I mean I, I'm I'm not a zanata head by any stretch of the imagination, but I do know that I mean those things show up in in low sea level canyons in Southern California. Uh, you know that they, they're on what, which island are they on off the coast of California? I think um, uh, there's a guy who got a uh, got a video of one recently being picked off by a fox as it crawled. I think it was on like Catalina
1: Island. Oh wow. Here.
0: One of those islands up there. I can't remember which one, but it, huh. I mean the you know, the precedent's there. They're, they you know, they have a, they obviously have a tolerance for low elevation. It's just a matter of getting to you know in cool wet canyons that'll bring them down to the coast. So flopping right. hopping over to the island. That's the interesting part. How they when did that happen and how? I you know it's not yeah. something I've dug into, but it's interesting. It's always interesting. You know, those stories are the ones that kind of you know keep you going or you know, keep this game interesting.
1: So. <laughs> yeah
0: and then it's about you know wondering you know what other islands are there you know there's I think there's two islands there um in Todos Santos right there's a, a I can't remember I don't recall what the second island's called it's a smaller one just to just adjacent uh-huh. to the big one you know are they on that one too you know it's not a big jump but you know no one's ever found them there so
1: I don't know uh it was it was quite an ordeal to get on that island um which is very tall cliffs and we had to row across in a a little boat about six foot long
0: yeah and that's the standard.
1: Yeah. And uh, we call that the Harari Ferry. Oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, it was, you know, uh, getting my large carcass in this tiny boat uh, with one other person and, and then a, uh, a crew hand to row us. And uh, the water is about an inch below the, the side of the boat. And, you know, every wave I'm getting water sloshing in on I me. Mean, I'm thinking, you uh, know, I've got you know, backpack full of camera gear and i'm thinking i'm just gonna go straight to the bottom yeah <laughs> <With> <laughs> this, the this thing goes hands. under so. yeah i'm gonna go straight to the bottom gosh. uh but fortunately i, I live to tell the tale but nah, uh,
0: you guys got one you don't have to go back now so that's that's it <laughs> check it off the list you're good
1: i don't have to go back that's like uh uh getting the uh uh willard eye um, um oh gosh obscurus. Yeah. being fortunately getting it in mexico and then Thinking well, I never have to go back to southern Arizona for. I'll never have to go down to southern Arizona for this species again. Yeah, (laughs) or it was in
0: southwest uh, New Mexico, right?
1: Um, Oh yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I think uh, most of the specimens I think come from New Mexico, right? I don't think I. I think Arizona's. Yeah, it's been a while since anyone's pulled one in Arizona proper, but
1: yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, but I never have to go back to that area again to look for that rattlesnake
0: well i, I think they're supposedly aren't they fairly common in the in the animus in, in New mexico
1: yeah but i think all it's all on private land it's it's inaccessible now these days you can't get in there to to see them okay um so it's kind of closed off so unfortunately
0: yeah i guess each herping everywhere's got its challenges right i mean in mexico you've got areas you can't get into just because there's guys with guns and then New Mexico, it's yeah. <laughs> pretty similar. <laughs> Texas has got the same thing going on. So.
1: Yeah. Well, Texas is, so much of Texas is private land, right. fiercely protected private land. So you just can't go tramping around the Texas countryside without getting somebody, somebody with usually firearms right. <laughs> angry at you. So it, it's not recommended. So you're with pretty methods. much stuck to the roads. Yeah. Well, listen, I want to thank you for coming on the show and, uh, and giving us about 90 minutes of your time. I really appreciate it, and I know my listening audience is going to get a kick out of, of this conversation. So appreciate it. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. I, I, uh, I hope you uh, keep doing what you're doing and, and uh, keep writing those reports because uh, I think uh, part of the problem when when for anybody is measuring success, right? I mean, you can measure success in a number of species – you find or you know that kind of thing but there's also out, an outreach element here and I, I think it's safe to say that you, you reach a lot of people and you make a, a lot of people are really interested in what you guys are doing down there and uh and i think i appreciate that you share your accomplishments uh with with the world basically
0: yeah i mean that's that's honestly what we're we hoping to drum up interest, man. We want more guys, you know, like you and, <laughs> and, and Tim and the, you know, the to links to you know, keep coming down here and, and uh, you know, keep hitting these areas, these, you know, and, and I, I think there's like a, there's like a progression. Cause we've seen it before. It's like, you know, you guys will cut your first trip You're You'll dip your toes into, into Baja. You'll, and then you'll, and you'll get to, you know, to Alamos, you will do, you know, the, the Southern Sonora experience. And then after that, you know, the, the challenges start, you know, Tight yeah. State. It's like, oh, was, you know, I wonder if there's anything interesting in this mountain range over here. And you start, you start digging the areas that are less known, less sampled. And um, I mean, I think that's where you know, that it's it's not entirely selfless. I mean, we we want more people to come down and do that stuff and find new species and find species in areas that haven't been seen before. Um, and that's 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 really kind of our our hope, right? I mean, uh, we want to kind of inspire people to to take interest in them and then come down and look because um, there's, there's still a yeah. lot of work to do.
1: Very good. Yeah. Well, once again, thank you for coming on the show. I really enjoyed talking to you. It's, it's good to meet with you and, and get to know you a little better too.
0: I, I love being on the show, man. I, I love listening. To this <laughs> this is uh, you're doing doing a great work with this one. It makes my long long drives that much more enjoyable. So appreciate that. Uh, well,
1: as now you can understand it. that uh, how excited I am to do it. I. You know, I, I I get to talk to you first. Okay, I got to hear I got to hear what you say first. So I'm I'm always uh, getting it first. Okay.
0: So. Keep it going, man, because I, I I've got a lot of herping to do still. So a lot of long
1: drive. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll I'll do my best. But thanks again. All right. Appreciate it. No problem, Mike. Thank you. That's it for episode 35. A big thank you to Jason Jones for coming on the show. I really enjoyed talking with you, Jason, and I hope that we get to meet in person someday, and preferably somewhere in Mexico. And folks, please see the show notes for some linkage to Herp MX Patreon people, thanks once more to William Bone and all of my Patreoners for supporting so much pingle. And if you would like to toss a few bucks in the kitty to keep the show rolling... Uh, please visit patreon.com slash so much pingle and so much pingle is one word and before i go i want to remind you that you can find all of the recorded episodes and show notes at so and you can also join the so much pingle facebook group to follow the show and interact with me and some of my guests and other cool herbsters and as I mentioned earlier, I am at so muchpingle at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. And until we meet again, please take good care of yourselves and don't forget to hurt better.